When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. Hello and welcome to On the Farm Pitcher List podcast that about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I'm your host, Lamar Gibson. Um, so today is a, a really cool show. Um, I have two of our favorite fellow fantasy baseball analysts and enthusiasts with us. Um, Jake, however, not going to be able to, wasn't able to join us for recording, but that's okay because he's still going to be represented in spirit. Um, but I have with us um, the hosts of the Florida Prospect Report podcast have Bailey Shrevnik and Eric Garfield. Bailey, did I butcher your name again this time? Because I think I butchered it when you joined us last year. That that time, I think you got it right, okay. Shrevnik. That, that sounded right to me. Perfect. Thank you for Perfect. having me on. Yeah, Bailey. So uh, if you guys, the, the longer time listeners, you should remember Bailey from our episode last year um, where we talked about uh, Florida League kind of as a whole. Um, but we have his co-host, uh, Eric, with us now. They host the Florida Prospect Report. And today what we're going to be doing is previewing um, short season Arizona and Florida rookie complex leagues, um, looking at some potential headliners for the deep dynasty managers to keep an eye on. Uh, and then we're also going to talk about just their pro- uh, their podcast, how it came to be, what they've seen at the Florida uh, rookie complex league as well as um, maybe even talk about some of the uh, low a players that they've seen over the past couple of years as well um, bef- before we do that we're going to do a real quick this week in baseball we're recording this on saturday before mother's day happy mother's day to or happy belated mother's day to all of our um, mothers who are listening uh, as you hear this uh, obviously the the big story was yuri perez's call up we're going to get to that because bailey you have like great information I, I i assume to to share with us so we're definitely going to talk about yuri casey schmidt uh was called up for the giants he's been hitting the ground running literally and figuratively uh i had him on the outline originally questioning like is he a target or no i think he well on answered that question so that's going to be definite yes if you're in a redraft uh he's a guy that you definitely should have been running um looking at for your fab i think i see he was called up this past week so on sunday on mother's day your fab run for the week should be um uh ready to uh ready to uh, have some dollars going his way uh and then looking at some some scares some injury scares or potential injury scares mason miller his elbow um we heard news about his elbow definitely a lot of people who were like oh no this is our nightmare um the initial reports were you know we're gonna wait and see the mri mri came back sounds like that was clean is what we're told okay good but then a few days later they're putting him on the 15 day io maybe not as good as we we thought um this was unfortunately there's really was nowhere around some sort of arm issue related to mason miller there's a guy that had barely 30 professional innings to his name overall 
whether it was here, whether it was in Ve- you know, uh, in Oakland, I should say, whether it was in Vegas, as he was going through a full season of of baseball, pitching the way he pitches at the speeds he pitches, some sort of arm fatigue or arm, you know, hurt of some sort, whether it's a major injury or not, was kind of like inevitable. I think what we're looking at here from a fantasy standpoint, whether it be redraft or uh, in dynasty, is having to make the the decision, the business decision of like, do you sell early? Do you say this is the first of potentially many arm issues? I don't trust the Oakland A's to develop this guy. Well, I already had, you know, already had question marks. I don't trust them to bring him along correctly. And so I'm just going to get off the train. I got my little bit, you know, that I could, I'm going to sell him off at, you know, 80, 75% even of his value now that he has an injury, but I'm getting off this train before it completely derails. That's one tack. Or do you hold and say, hey, he avoided the scary news from the initial MRI. They're going to let him rest. Maybe they'll put him on more of a innings and pitch count limit here on out. If I'm in a dynasty league, I can live with that. I can survive that. I can bulk up and, and stream maybe some other uh, pitchers around him to get my innings limit and make sure my ratios are intact if i'm in a redraft ah uh, okay if i'm in a, a deeper redraft maybe you drop them or, or i'm sorry if you're in deeper redraft uh maybe you hold on to him um but again kind of streaming around him kind of bolstering uh what he can bring to you if you're in a shallow league you probably already dropped him i think that that's okay for a redraft um so it, it, it's kind of one two routes i'm holding him i have him in in one league and my in my 20 team or home league i'm holding on to him uh he's on my il taking up a spot right now i can move him between that and the minor league spot as well so i have some flexibility for my roster uh but i am like very very closely watching all news coming out of oakland related to mason miller and i'm hoping for the best from here on out so we will see what happens uh ricky tiedemann uh had a bicep scare so he had to start uh last week actually uh, where after a few pitches uh, into, I want to say the third inning, um, he pretty much was just like, hey, something's not right, and I'm out. Like, he pretty much just yanked himself out of the game. Uh, motion to the to the bench, trainers came out, and he left. Uh, so we're hearing it was a bicep, uh believe they're saying bicep strain. Uh, so not the elbow, not the shoulder. That's good. Uh, we'll have to see as he makes his next start, and, and from here on out, how it goes with Ricky Tiedemann. And with Tiedemann, even more so because – uh, you know, he doesn't have the injury history or the, you know, shortened uh, professional history like uh, Mason Miller does. But here's a guy who hasn't made it to the majors yet. Uh, you still can probably get pretty close to high value for him if you're looking to deal. I don't have Tiedemann on any of my personal rosters, but he's somebody that I would still I would still look to hold, especially as we see um, all of these call-ups continue to happen. There might be a situation where they let Tiedemann go for a couple more starts if everything seems healthy maybe especially where the Blue Jays are with their rotation isn't awful but they could probably use a little bit of help um they might just say hey he seems healthy he's still looking pretty good at double a and just make the call saying forget let him go the rest of double a forget triple a let's just give him to the major leagues let's get him in front of major league trainers and just have him contribute to the the major league club like from here on out so I would probably hold Tiedemann unless I'm hearing or seeing something that like is a big red flag. And then it's like, a you know, it's a sell off as soon as you can. Um, so that's that's those kind of quick tidbits from this week in baseball. Let's circle back to Miami 
let's go back to the Yuri Perez um, debut. I'm going to turn it over to our guest, uh, specifically to Bailey, because Bailey, you were telling us you were uh, at the game, correct? That's right. Yeah. So what did you see? What is the, what was that? Well, I'm actually curious before we even get into like the, the nuts and bolts of your press, what was the atmosphere like? Well, I mean, I got there when the gates opened uh, for batting practice and I was uh, a little surprised by the uh, lack of people who were there for batting practice, but it filled in you know a little bit once uh, it got closer to game time, which I guess is typical of a 640 star on a Friday night in Miami. <laughs> um, they said the projected uh, or I guess announced attendance was, 14 about 14,000 just under mm. my dad and I, uh, I think it might've been a little less than that. Um, you know, the Yuri got, uh, like two or three ovations throughout the night. So the fans did recognize that they were seeing a, you know, a special player. Um, when he walked out before the game, they, they clapped when he got on the mound, you know, and then when, when he got pulled during the fifth inning, they gave him ovation. So I like that the Marlins fan did, they did recognize, uh, you know, his, his, uh, pedigree. And and to get into uh, and and you know I don't know if you were there sort of in a in official capacity or just kind of there as a baseball fan so I don't know how how much note taking you were doing or not but you know was there anything that um, you were seeing being able to watch in person that that stood out to you as far as um, you know and anything from the sort of mechanical pieces of how he looks obviously we've seen the video the overlays of him and, and sandy alcantara um and we know kind of their uh relationship and and sandy going to pick him up from the airport and all the you know great stories from there um but you know was there anything that you saw whether it was mechanics or just how the pitches looked or just his general composure that kind of stood out to you from um a, a baseball and also from a fantasy standpoint yeah, so his outing last night was very reminiscent of the one I saw last year in uh, Jupiter when he was on the Hammerheads. And, and mind you, that outing I saw last year was the most impressive performance I've ever seen in the minor leagues. He went four and two-thirds, no hits, 11 strikeouts. But he only went four and two-thirds because his pitch count got pretty high. So same thing kind of happened last night. He only went four and two-thirds because <clears throat> that pitch count got pretty high. Um Gave up four hits. Uh, I believe he walked two batters. Um, yeah, he did. And seven strikeouts. Uh, most notable thing, though, uh, after getting through three scoreless innings to start the game looking pretty solid, first batter of the fourth inning, my boy Tyler Stevenson, on a full count, Yuri left a fastball over the plate, and it was a home run to left field. Um, I thought his day might be done after the uh, – fourth inning because his pitch count I want to say was hovering high 70s gave up I believe two hits uh, excuse me three hits and two walks and then uh, they brought him back out for the fifth inning um, he got two outs and then first pitch to Jake Braley pretty much the exact same spot he gave it to Tyler Stevenson and then it was a home run to right field by Fraley and that was it for Perez so there was some good there was some bad um the two uh, pitches that he messed up on last night were in the exact same spot, exact same pitch, pretty much exact same speed. So, you know, he needs to, I guess, have better command on the fastball. But overall, you know, struck out seven guys in four and two thirds. Um, I think one of the walks was questionable. That's um, what I heard. I, unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch it on TV, even though I really wanted to. Um, but I heard just kind of catching up that, yeah, he seemed like he got squeezed on one. Yeah, and I think it was the strikes on the whole night. 
Oh, yeah, I'm looking right here. There's a slider. Uh, it was the fifth pitch in the first inning to steer. Looks like it was in, in the box. And even the first pitch that was a slider was also in the box. You can make an argument that all four of those balls, according to ESPN, touched the zone. So definitely got squeezed on that one. Um, and I know the same thing was happening to Graham Ashcraft. The, the umpiring last night was, was interesting to watch, to say the least. But overall, I was very impressed with Yuri. Um, he flashed very promising stuff. And he'll get the Nationals for his next start. So I think rolling into seeing even better starts that, this week. That's definitely helpful. Um, the one other thing that I wanted to ask, and actually I have, uh, I was just trying to see what his line was. So I'm on Fangrass right now. Um, but it's interesting. Their little like prospect blurb that they have is, uh, also talks about the incredible control that he has for a pitcher that is that tall, right? Six, eight, um, watching him in uh, again, in person, was there something that stood out about, I don't know how many guys you've seen that is anywhere close to his height, but, you know, just thinking about the number of games that you've watched and pictures that you've seen of, of different sizes, was there something that stood out to you in person about how fluid he seems to be on the mound for somebody that is that tall? Oh, definitely. I mean, from my perspective, it does not seem like he labors that much on the mound. It does seem like a pretty fluid motion. I think – arguably what's more impressive than the fact that he's 6'8 is that he's 20 years old. He's the youngest player, not just pitcher, player in Marlins history. First player in Major League history who was born in 20, uh, 2003 or later. And, I mean, for the most part, he was holding the Reds uh, uh, to zeros until you know he ran into some trouble. But even then, Marlins ended up uh, taking the lead, and you know the bullpen is, was the issue there. But you know, Yuri kept him in the game, and I think he'll continue to do that uh, throughout his major league career. Well, uh, that's uh, that's pretty cool that you're able to to be there in person uh, with with Papa uh, Srebnik as well, uh, fan of his. Uh, I want to open it up a little bit. Uh, you know, actually, what we'll do is this: we'll take a quick break, and then when we come back, I want to open it up. Let you and Eric talk about uh, again your your podcast, uh, kind of how it came to be. And then we can get into, you know, some players that you've seen over the past uh, years or so down there in Florida, um, you know, getting their professional career started, whether it be complex ball or even just in low A. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're coming back right after this. Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, and we are back. So again, I have... Uh, Bailey Srebnik, Eric Garfield, host of the Prospect, the Florida Prospect Report podcast with us. Um, so let me open it up uh, to both of you guys. 
you know, I, I don't know who wants to go first, but I, I'm just curious to kind of see and hear because I followed you guys separately. Uh, I'm familiar with you all separately in the fantasy community. And then, you know, like uh, like your favorite team up, you guys came together and created a podcast. Um, so tell me about how long has the podcast been running, first and foremost? So, uh, yeah, we've been doing the podcast. Our first episode was November 10th, 2021. So it's been about a year and a half at this point, maybe a little over that. And, yeah, I'm just curious. Like, I- I'll turn it over to-, to both of you if you want to just tell the story about, you know, how you guys linked up, how it came to be, um, what what the experience has been like. Yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll get things started. And, uh, you know, in the summer of 2021, uh, you know, Eric and I are both going to games in Florida. I was mainly going to FSL games. He was going to uh, FCL for the most part and some FSL. Too. He was going to a lot of Marauders games. And, you know, we, we just followed each other on Twitter because he was posting, you know, Kobe Mayo highlights. I was interested in that. I, you know, I was posting like Jordan Walker and stuff like that. So we linked up on Twitter and then uh, uh, got to talking. And then Eric actually got a, a job opportunity for a weekend to work at Perfect Game. And, you know, the guy said if he had an extra person that, they could work too and he offered the position to me which is very nice um and you know for the like four-day weekend that we're working a perfect game we we're talking a lot of baseball and we we're like man you know people should hear this this is it's not like we're just talking about like you know regular names like these are uh good players who people may not have heard of and uh so about a month later we uh did our first episode and then uh we did another episode where um it was it was like our longest episode i want to say it was like an hour and a half where we like Talked about like the top three best players in the FSL or FCL or anyone we'd seen that summer from each position, and you know since then we've been trying to do uh, you know as often as we can you know with school and work and whatnot it's been it's been tricky to keep a, a good schedule but Eric I appreciate his patience uh, in that regard and we've done over thirty episodes uh, over the years so uh, yeah and you know we uh, appreciate all the listeners. So Eric, before I, I bring you in. Um, you know, I, I highlighted Bailey. If you again, if you're not following Bailey, we'll we'll have the 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 Twitter page and all that. We'll we'll do the promotion piece like we always do for our guests, and we'll have it in the show notes. But if you're not following Bailey, um, you're missing out on uh, somebody. I'm gonna I'm deeming the the Sultan of the prospect selfie. The number of selfies that Bailey has gotten um, from attending these games, and when you look at who they are and where they were in their career and where they are now, it is quite astonishing. Um, a, a lot of fresh face guys uh, you've been able to get prospect uh, or, or selfies with um, some, you know, very well-known um, MOB players when they're on a rehab assignment, but definitely the prospect that thing is, I think your calling card of just being like, Hey, yeah, you know, this, uh, this 22 year old that's making his debut. Yeah. When he was 18, I was getting that selfie. <laughs> um, so, so that's, that's Bailey's um, sort of, like I said, his calling card, but Eric, let me bring you in because I have you down in the outline as the keeper of dingers. Okay. You between you and your dog, I think the number of uh, Orioles and pirates prospect home run, <laughs> home run balls that you guys have in the collection uh, probably rivals, pretty much anybody um but eric like you know tell us about you know your your a little bit about your background as far as fantasy baseball and and um keeping up with uh the the leagues down there in florida and and you know your end of the the podcast and uh writing game there sure sure thank you for having me on Uh, i've been following you for a while also while we're talking i'm actually Twirling around in my hands, Michael Hernandez, the shortstop prospects, first career, 
home run balls. So they're everywhere. They're all they're all over my house, filling <laughs> all the cabinets and all the trash cans. I moved to uh, this part of Florida in uh, 2015, and due to some circumstances, I started to have uh, a lot of free time, like a lot of free time in 2019. And I live very close to the Orioles uh, complex. I just started walking around their stadium. That was Gunner's rookie league year. Mm. So I discovered that the Orioles had a great draft draft. Uh, their rookie league team was amazing. They were the champions that year. And maybe I should start paying a little bit more attention to this aspect of baseball, like lower minors development. The more I dug in, the more I liked it. And now I feel like I'm like entrenched in that life and that lifestyle. Uh, I played fantasy baseball before I, I moved to Florida. I quit for a while and now I do dynasty because I see most of these guys first. I, I know who's good because I see them. A lot. <laughs> One of the people that we're going to talk about on this show that's an awesome player, the second I saw him, I picked him up You know, when he, was, when he was 18. I just wanted to get in first. So there's a lot of players like that. I saw Caminero first. I saw Neil Cruz in the rookie leagues. I saw Miguel Blyce in the rookie leagues, Basayo. So, so many guys I feel like I'm, I'm first on. And I just feel like the baseball media does not publicize the, this aspect of development, like what these players are doing, transitioning sometimes from another country to here or from amateur baseball to here in every case is so uniquely different. I feel like the media would have a field day just looking at one complex league team and they're all ignored. Mm. So I have to kind of like fill in, watch the five hour games that are 117 degrees. <laughs> so I know every bit of information. So when I shared or when I put together my, my research, um, I'm a little closer to correct. A lot of times I whiff and get it wrong, <laughs> which I don't mind. But uh, following this aspect of development is so much more interesting than I thought. And the team that I love, the Orioles, they're the best at it. They're the, I watch them every single day. So watching them get it done is really kind of very stimulating to me. And I get home and I watch the videos and I want to show everybody else. So... <laughs> That's kind of where I are and where, where I am. And when I met Bailey, he was kind of doing a, a similar thing, a different style. You know, I kind of like autographs. He kind of likes selfies, but we still get the material, cover the information mm -hmm. and distribute it and share it to other people. So he and I together just seemed like a very natural fit. I'm glad that we're podcasters and I'm glad that we're, we're boys. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Like I think both of your approaches and that's what I was saying was it was interesting to see you guys come together um to to create the podcast because you know likewise we have been following each other and um you were always good Eric uh, have always been good for um some you know uh video not just game video but some batting practice video some instruct league you know the the instructional pieces to to see guys developing on the backfield so, I, you know, I kind of went to Eric for that stuff, and we're both Orioles fans. So I was like, okay, cool, I got that. Uh, Bailey, he, he's been writing for a while, uh, obviously with the selfies, but just having great game video as well and just being able to kind of chime in with some some good tidbits about younger guys as they're going up level. So, yeah, you guys come together. I agree wholeheartedly. It's just it's, it's a very natural fit. Um, so let's get into that. You, you know, you name dropped some some folks there, Eric and, and Bailey. We kind of hinted towards – a lot of players that you've uh, seen and, and been around. I'm curious. I, I don't want you guys to kind of re, you don't have to redo 
your long podcast that you already did, people can go out and listen. But I am kind of curious, just maybe top of mind. Um, I know you mentioned uh, Michael Hernandez. Uh, I think when we were talking in the uh, offline, um, somebody mentioned Mikey Romero, definitely Jackson Holiday. I'm just kind of curious, uh, and I, I want the listeners to hear what some of the players um, that you guys have seen over the last year or so and kind of how they looked then versus how we're seeing them now. So let's actually start with Jackson Holiday. Um, and I and I know, uh, Eric, I'm going to clear out. I told you I'm going to clear out to talk about some other guys that you want. But I'm going to start Jackson Holiday. Uh, yes, in part because I'm an Orioles fan, so get over it. Um, but, you know, how did he look as a, as a you know, like you said, coming from amateur uh, ball to now being a professional and then, you know, seeing how he's been tearing up low A into high A now, like what are some things that sh- that have kind of remained consistent that you saw, like you said, from kind of day one that now more and more people are seeing now on a national level? Okay, I'll start with Jackson Holiday because we're going to go chronologically. We're going to go back even, even, even further. Yep. You know, my, my initial impressions of him when we're doing the mocks, like who are the Orioles going to pick? You know, there's are they going to take tomorrow? Are they going to take Drew Jones or Kevin Parada? One at Brooksley. So I never really, when I'm going around with that, I never really settled on Jackson. I just never thought it was going to be him. And part of that was because my initial impression, seeing him at the perfect game tournament that Bailey and I worked at, he was with his younger brother, who that by then was like Ethan, like 13 or 14, maybe something like that. And he was taller. He just looked like more of a player than Jackson did. Even though Jackson did well, I was like, well, he's not even as good as his, as his own brother. <laughs> he, should, he shouldn't be the first pick. Totally and completely, completely wrong. Jackson is awesome. And the, he hit the ground running as soon as he got to camp. He looked undersized then. He still kind of isn't that tall and that broad yet. You know, he's involved in, in getting bigger. But I, I kind of was a sizist when it came to him. And again, that was, that was totally wrong. He hits the ball with high enough velocity. His plate discipline is already, I, I would categorize it as elite. He knows the strike zone better than the umps. If he's not swinging, it's probably not a strike depending on the situation. So... I think that everything that they got, uh, uh, someone that was already good and brought a lot to the table, and, and their system has made that good into great already. So him being at Delmarva this year surprised a lot of people, or starting at Delmarva surprised a lot of people. I kind of knew that's how it was going to go, but I also knew he was going to be there for three weeks, and that's it, mm. no matter what, because mm. he's so good. So it's not, it's not about me being right. It's about the Orioles being right, making the right pick, and, and starting the first couple phases of his development near perfectly. I can say that from last year to this year, he's gained a lot of strength in his legs and lower body, and it doesn't look like that in his uniform, but his hits and where they end up, that, that that's the indicator for that. So Jax is doing great, and the Orioles are doing great by him. Yeah, so I think it's interesting because I, I was in a similar boat as far as I was like, it's Drew Jones. Like, why why would why, what are we even talking about? Like, that, you know, that's cool. Jackson Holiday is tearing it. That's awesome. But it's Drew Jones. Like, why? obviously and then you know that flipped and i think it, even as the pick came in and leading up it's it's interesting we don't i don't have to get into like full details about that but it is interesting to see how baseball is starting to try to position the mlb draft to make it very similar to the nba and nfl draft so you get a little bit more um intrigue to go along with the visibility as well like oh maybe 
you know, and, and I do as well. And so we saw some of this intrigue of like, well, maybe the Orioles will, you know, go under uh slot again. Maybe they will, could they even trade? Like, what would that look like? And then you start hearing more and more, like they really like Jackson holiday. Uh, and I was like, Oh, okay. I'm still not completely sold. Very similar to kind of what Eric was saying. Like, I'm not completely sold. They, they put in the pick. I'm okay. That's fine. Not exactly who I was gunning for, but okay. And then again, you just see it's like three weeks here, kills it, move on. Three weeks here, <laughs> kills it, move on. We were talking uh, again offline. We were talking and we kind of all three of us are in agreement that he's probably not going to be at Aberdeen for much longer. He's probably going to be at Bowie for the better part of 2023. And I mean, just think about that, right? Like for a high school player, I mean, we've seen with uh, Zach Neto, obviously uh, being the first one out of the draft uh, to get to the majors, but again, college kid, um, you know, higher end as far as, uh, what he could do defensively already definitely showed his his hit tool. Um, so that was sort of surprising, but not completely, especially given um, the situation with the Angels where who else is going to play shortstop really. But when you think about what the Orioles, it's like they got a good number of middle infielders that are pretty good, <laughs> you know, but to see he's pushing his way up through where he's going to make it, he's going to give the Elias administration, as I've been calling them, like, some good problems i'm i'm full baltimore now i'm quoting the wire and everything he's got one of them good problems right where he's gonna have to figure out between gunner between westberg between holiday between a lot of guys in a short window and that says nothing about the revival that is jorge mateo this year you know who's gonna do what who's staying who's going um and so i'm with you eric like it's fascinating to watch and it's one of those things where i'm happy to be wrong like I'm happy that I was wrong in all the best ways. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep the ball in your court. Um, Eric, you, you want to kind of work chronologically who's who's your who's your your next person that you want to talk through having seen? Uh well that would be uh back back to Michael, the shortstop. And when 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 you started the line of questioning, like comparing twenty two to twenty three, this is an instance where I mean you can go back through my my tweets and the, the things that I wrote and how I analyzed, I pretty much, you know, Michael, if, if you don't know, Michael is a taller, on the taller side. He's six foot three, uh, infield prospect, predominantly a shortstop. He, he's from, from Venezuela. And early in his career, before anyone saw him, like on the back of his baseball card, the comps are to the tall shortstops that are good. Nomar, A-Rod, Carlos Correa. And I watched him last year, and I was laughing at that like, this guy is lazy. He doesn't care about baseball. He's not strong enough to impact it. His transfer is not fast. Like on routine plays, just him handling the grounder and throwing to first, he doesn't get guys because he's not, he's not moving fast. Like this is a million dollars spent the wrong way and his development is going to stop. I was so completely wrong. He is, I can tell, an organizational priority this year and since February. You know, I'm, I'm watching an early camp. He is doing every single thing totally right, very focused, very level-headed, no sulking, no none, none. Even when he's 0 for 4, no bad body language, he's kind of like the face of the franchise of the extended spring training team, almost like he's a quarterback and this is his offense. Yesterday, he hit his first over-the-fence home run, but his cage sessions and his uh, you know day-to-day 
is so much better. He actually looks like a professional baseball player. Everything about last year is totally out the window. And all of my evaluations from last year kind of need to be out the window. Also, he, the first thing I saw when he walked by me February 8th was, man, Michael has a big back and big shoulders now. Like, this is almost a different guy. He must have really exercised a lot in the offseason, I found out later on that, that he did. So last year, the priorities were kind of like Samuel Basayo and Frederick Ben Cosme. Let's get them up and let's get them through. I kind of forget Michael. He's, he's just not with us. This year, it's, it's Michael as, as the leader. So any Oriole fans that listened to me last year, just be, be open to Michael actually being good. The way that he's making progress right now, don't be surprised if, if in another couple series of moves, He's up with Delmarva and actually making an, an, an impact there. He's so hot right now. So that's uh, Michael Hernandez again for the Orioles. And we'll have, as we always do, we'll have names in the show notes um, for you guys to, to take a look at. So I think that that's interesting what you just said, um, Eric. And, and Bailey, definitely I would love to get your just general insight as far as how quickly at that level, uh, whether we're talking about complex or rookie I'm, I, I'm or i'm sorry complex or low a i'm kind of conflating them a little bit for the purposes of of our conversation today but how quickly from season to season you guys can change opinions on guys that you've seen based on that off-season work and that you know whether it be an attitude change whether it just be like you were saying just you know physical progression um skill progression so like how i guess i don't know that there's a way to quantify but how often you know, would you both say that that happens where you're like, oh, I got this guy pegged. He, he's this type of player. And then boom, next season, you're like, oh, this is I, let me just tear up everything and just start anew because this is a completely different guy I'm dealing with. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it's definitely very fluid, especially, you know, at that level, of the minor leagues, there's a lot of room for, for growth and improvement. And unfortunately, you know, there's the flip side, too, where a player can be really good in the FCL and then as they go higher in the system, you know, it doesn't pan out. So I think, you, you know, you definitely have to be fluid with your uh, um, projections and, and stuff. Um, but I would definitely, I, I'm, I'm sure this is uh, the general consensus that, you know, you uh, definitely have your guys, but don't, don't be afraid to pivot if, uh, if you see something that contradicts what you, what you previously thought. Um, Eric, were you, and if I'm putting this on you, then, uh, and this is incorrect, then please correct me. But something in my brain says like you were one of the first people that put me on to Indy Rodriguez. Is that correct? I did see him and I did kind of know who he was very early in his development. And I kind of was like, wow, they won this trade no matter no matter what Indy turns out to be. But Lucchese is actually having a late career resurgence. But yeah, I knew I knew a lot about Andy and I trusted him a lot and I kind of thought that he would turn into what what he did turn into now so that was not a great setup it, you kind of scared me sorry <laughs> what you sorry what you no it's all good things totally... it's all good things no i know i know <laughs> but I, I i i won't take credit for everything but i guess i'm comfortable taking credit with that as yeah well. and in all honesty like the thing with indian i think this is where i think this is where you and i first started like more deeper conversations back and forth via twitter because i i want to say i was asking you about them moving him positionally because I'd heard like he's so athletic, they may not keep him as a catcher. They might test him out in somewhere in the infield. He has such a strong arm. Yep. 
they might, you know, say, yeah, yeah. So, so that's really what put me on to this guy. Like, wow, now switch hitter makes him like a, a way advanced contact, way advanced plate discipline, and he's that athletic. It's kind of reminiscent of how some people are talking about Harry Ford um, this year. Um, as far as like he's so athletic that like maybe keeping him at catcher is actually not doing him justice. I think that and you just you just started on uh, just a reminder to, to everybody. And he is known now as a catcher, maybe a catcher slash corner, maybe in 2021 when the Marauders won the championship and Andy was the team MVP. He contributed a great deal at second base and he was stellar at second base. You couldn't hit it by him. He's turning double plays. I don't think he's going to be that in the upper minors or in the pros, but it is a sign of, of his baseball acumen. How many reps has he done? How many intense practices have helped his development to be able to bend down field grounders, pit tra- transfer and pivot? So Andy is almost like a do-it-all guy. And when you're that in the low minors, the possibilities for your further development just increase by, by so much. So I really, that, that was my point then. And I, I, you know, I'm not trying to take credit, but look what Andy yeah. is now. Andy's a versatile, versatile contributor. Even playing through an injury where he kind of can throw a little bit less, he's still kind of forcing his way into into development. And now it's him and Henry neck and neck. Like who's gonna who's gonna break that threshold first? Right, right now at this moment, it looks like Henry is a little bit ahead of him. The athlete that I think Andy is, he's gonna he's gonna get up close and he's gonna make sure that people know who he is this year yeah. too. Um, and, and so often or the, the listeners of the show should know, but, um, you know, so often Jake and I talk about margin for error. Right. And when it comes to prospects, you you want to look at, in my opinion, you want to look at guys that give you the biggest margin for error. Right. Because we know and, and Bailey, you touched on it as well. Like guys will go up through the level. It's going to get harder. Major League Baseball is very hard, you know, so we all see Moneyball. Like, like tell them how easy it is. Walsh. No, it's very hard. Um. So, you know, knowing that guys that have that ability and, and what you were saying, Eric, right, whether it be athleticism or just general baseball acumen, if they have it at such a young age, that's only going to stay with them and develop more and more as things get more and more difficult. That gives you such a wide margin uh, for error with certain prospects versus the guys like you were, you know, saying that you thought Michael Hernandez might be, whereas like this guy doesn't really have it right now. And if he doesn't have it right now, how is he going to have it at low A? And how is he definitely going to have it at, you know, high A, double A? Like, it's not going to get easier for him if he's not already bringing it to the table. Um, so those, and and I know for certain play, uh, certain managers in, in the fantasy community, like, that gets into the less quantifiable things, right? You can't really measure work ethic. You can't really look at a number and tell you, you know, a guy's uh, uh, interest in development. And so I know that, that kind of dissuades certain managers, but I hope that the majority of our audience, especially um, folks that are interested in dynasty and, and especially the the deeper dynasty leagues, understand like it all works together. It all plays a part, even when you can't put a number by it. And when you can get eyeballs on it, uh, such as uh, what you to do being able to go in person, if you're able to watch some games on minor league uh, uh, baseball, whether it be MILB tv or if you do have like a local broadcast because i know there's some local broadcasts as well like all those things help you being able to spot guys before well before you know they're starting hitting prospect rankings and, and some of that national highlight so um with that being said i know there are a couple of other names that got mentioned before we get into uh some players that i had grabbed for 
you know, uh, Arizona, as well as we can talk about Florida for complex leagues for this year. But there are a couple other names that I know you guys had mentioned. Uh, Miguel Blias, if I'm pronouncing that right, I might be butchering that, um, was one. I'm sorry, what is it? Blice. Blice, I'm sorry. Uh, see, there we go. Miguel Blice. Um, that was one name. And then I want to say there was some, there was another Oriole player, uh, Eric, that you had mentioned offline as well that you wanted to talk about. That was Samuel Basayo. I always want to talk about him. Well, again, I'll clear out space uh, for you, Bailey, whatever you want to chip in as far as guys that you've seen from. Um, I know you, you tend to go to more the low A. Um, we talked about Mikey uh, Romero. Like, feel free. I'll clear out and, and let you guys go. Well, really, picking back on, on, on what you just said, and it's extremely true, the one thing that, that helps me identify or, or tells my brain Who's going to make it? Every day these guys are facing some type of adversity. Something with their girlfriends, something with their food, something with the field, something. It's not the major league life. So I watch them fight through adversity, sometimes willingly and sometimes less. How guys respond to those circumstances and just try to find a two for five with an RBI or something like that. that, that that's huge to me also. And, and, and on in that vein, last year, Orioles prospect Samuel Basayo was in Sarasota. It was his first long professional season, multi-month, every day. And I, you could see it. He's a kid. He's a big kid, big body, bulky. Like, after the first month, everything was getting to him. He's a catcher. Every foul ball is hitting him. You could just see in his face that he's okay with dealing with it. He's a person of, of high character. He's a person of high faith. It's almost like this 17-year-old knew that it was going to be tough. When you have that mindset, I think the, the stuff that happens to you and the, the negative circumstances that befall you in the lower minors, you can just wade your way through it and, and make it. And this year, I mean, his OPS is in the nines. He had a very minor injury. He came back and he's contributing right away. Mm -hmm. This guy is a beast. He might be too big and might take him too long to stand all the way up to be a, a, a catcher. But as a corner and a four or five hitter, it looks like the Orioles had an outstanding international signing with Basayo. He's a, his best skill is ironically throwing, but it might take him too long to stand up to throw people out. So that part of his development is going to be up to other factors and you know the the, the physical part. But Samuel Basayo is a, a high OPS run producer in the middle of the order. Don't look at his his age at all. Just just go ahead and watch him play. So he's one guy that. Every time I get the opportunity to, I'm going to I'm gonna let people know just how good he is and that they should be watching him and the, the Delmarva Shorebirds. Yeah, and, and there's there's also some some guy named Allie Rushman that's a catcher for the Orvis as well. He, he he might cause some, you know, some positional issues. I don't know. Good point. Know. Uh, but no, that that's that's uh, that's interesting. And and quite honestly, um, I'll also raise my hand on this one of saying, like, besides somebody that I willingly slept on, I was like, international catcher like young guy uh, okay sure right and he like slowly but surely he's this year especially like i see more and more of the service that i'm in and and you know different um rankings that i read more and more people are like hey here's a name to know here's a deep league you know name to know Samuel basayo here's a but the one thing that you added eric that i hadn't heard about um was that size uh as far as his height I knew about his, his, you know, his body type as far as being, you know, a thicker build, but his height and a potential willingness to convert 
right to to a, a corner infield spot and, and what that means right that changes things both from uh there's a higher bar obviously if he goes to first or or the third you know uh either way but there's a higher bar that kind of has to get cleared in the fantasy community especially when it comes to uh, a first a first baseman or a third baseman that's a, a, a prospect because of hitting but also that gives you a little bit more um assurance that he's going to be an everyday guy if he can stick there versus a catcher where like you said um it's really hard especially in today's game to be uh somebody that's going to be playing 130 games out of 160 something as a catcher bailey also has an international catcher with a very similar story but before before it's his turn people say the orioles do not have a first base prospect i guess they've never seen samuel Basai or heston kerstad play first base because there's two right there Mm. interesting i never cursed that i never heard about him playing first go to twitter there you go see we're giving you the nuggets guys we're giving you the good stuff <laughs> bailey i'm gonna throw it your way um whatever is coming to the top of brand i know we're going a little bit more free form uh than normal but whatever's coming to your brain as far as i do want to hear about mikey romero i do want to hear about what you what what was getting seen there but who's this catching prospect that eric is hinting to yeah, so Eric's referring to uh, Leonardo Bernal. Uh, he's a notable guy in the uh, St. Louis Cardinals organization. Uh, my shout out to my dad actually. He uh, when I went to college last year, I don't think Bernal was with the Palm Beach Cardinals yet, but my dad was still going to the games, and he was like, "Hey, this Bernal guy looks pretty good." And, and last year, Bernal was pretty solid. He had a 117 WRC plus, uh, seven home runs, so he was playing uh, pretty well. Uh, so my dad was right, and then. This year, it's. I mean, he took his game to the next level. He's, you know, got a, uh, you know, an 870 on base per, or excuse me, OPS. That would be amazing. Um, <laughs> that'd be amazing. It was an 870 on. Base I, would, I would stop the podcast and pick him up right now. <laughs> like, wait, hold on. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, the WRC plus up to 144. I mean, he's absolutely raking right now, and you know, he's only uh, 19 years old. So this is a guy to definitely keep an eye on. Um, speaking of catchers, another guy I really like is, uh, Andrew Cassetti from, uh, the, uh, Fort Myers, Mighty Muscles, uh, Minnesota Twins, single A, uh, is OPS over a thousand batting average over 300, six home runs. Uh, let's see what else can I, can I gloat about 179 WRC plus, um, you know, he, he's, he only played one game last year in the FCL He made his debut, uh, gone on base, uh, twice, but didn't record his first hit um until this year and he's just been he was the fsl player of the month uh you know i don't know how much longer he'll be in fort myers he uh turned 23 this past january so he went to st joseph's for college so i think it's very likely we see him in cedar rapids uh quite soon but he's been very impressive he hit a grand slam uh at a game i went to it was his uh i believe it was one of two or three extra base hits in that one game alone um and I ended up with the ball. Really cool interaction with him after the game. Uh, he thought it was cool. I had the ball. He inscribed inscribed the grand slam on it. Um, and I guess sticking on the uh, uh, you know topic of catchers, I'll say uh, I, I know for, for a fact I saw Adley Rutschman when he was in the FCL, and I think Eric did too. One game. Uh, yeah. No. Yes. Thumbs up. One. One game. One game. Yeah. So Eric and I both saw uh, one game of Adley Rutschman back in 2021. Not the same game. Yeah. Also saw Gunnar Henderson, like Eric said. Um, and then, yeah, I, I just want to talk a little bit more about Jackson Holiday before I get to Romero because 
Um, I, I think what I was looking through his stats, and besides the fact that he's never had an on-base percentage below 439 at any stop, um, <laughs> which is just insane. I think that was um, our first raspberry his... that we've ever had on. <laughs> like, that's how absurd it is. <laughs> Wait, that's just insane. Uh, never had WRC plus below 130. Um, but in his eight games in the FCL, he had 10 walks and two strikeouts. I'm not saying that backwards. He walked 10 times and struck out twice in 33 plate appearances. I mean, that's just nuts. Of course, 219 WRC+. plus. I mean, he he was 18 at the time, didn't turn 19 until December. I mean, you know, and then now this year, he's just somehow taking it to an even higher level. And it's not that much of a surprise when you, you know, watch him in spring training this year, and he looked like just, you know, you know, on the same level as, you know, like Adley and Gunner and the guys who are like, you know, in their – mid to late twenties, like Cedric Mullins, like, like Jackson holiday fit in. And, you know, if he wasn't 19 and still needed some de- uh, development, I mean, I could see them fast tracking it. There's no reason to, you need to take it, you know, slow with him. But I mean, he's walking just as much as he strikes out this year. Right. And at every level before that, he's walked more than he struck out. Um, you know, another fun tidbit, he was born the same year as Yuri Perez, uh, several months later, but that that's just, uh, goes to show how impressive Yuri is that, you know, that he's already in the majors and, you know, getting over to uh, Mikey Romero. I was at the game where Mikey hit his first career home run. That was super exciting. He hit it to right field at a uh, jet blue park, which is, uh, has the same dimensions as Fenway park because the Red Sox uh, spring training sites. That was really cool to see. Um, you know, it, there's not much to write home about so far with Mikey in uh, low A cause he got hurt after like nine games, but I think it's crazy that he's, uh, I mean, this is such a small sample size that I don't even know if it's worth mentioning, but he's we walked. Love, we love small sample of the sizes. Time. I'm sorry to interrupt, but we yeah, love I mean, small sample sizes here. So go ahead. No, I, us too. Us too. In, in nine games this year, he's walked 2% of the time and struck out 25% of the time with no home runs. So you would think like, Oh, he must not be doing that. Well. His batting average is 349. You know, when you factor those walks, 364 on base. He's slugging 581 with no home runs. And, you know, the WRC plus is 153. So despite the fact that he hasn't walked pretty much at all, and he's striking out a little more than you like to see in those nine games, uh, he's doing really well. Hopefully he'll be back soon. I don't believe the injury was too severe. It was a, um, it was back stiffness. So hopefully it's not, you know, that bad, but in the FCL, he looked really good. Walked more than he struck out as an 18 year old, uh, on base 372. Um, I liked what I saw a lot, you know, and, uh, he's still only 18 has not turned 19 yet. So this is a really young guy. And what I like about him for a high school bat, I feel like he has a really high floor where that, um, this is similar to Marcelo Meyer. I, I, Meyer is the the better player, but I think, you know, the Red Sox have a type where it's a high school infielder who, if they don't grow into a lot of power, you're still going to have an excellent hit tool excellent plate discipline, excellent defense, where you're going to have a major leaguer in some capacity, just a matter of, is this guy going to hit for insane power or is he just going to be, you know, a single digit guy. But I I feel pretty confident, you know, as long as these guys stay healthy, that we'll see Meyer and Romero in the major leagues in some capacity. Um, Obviously, you know, a lot more faith in Meyer just because he was, you know, uh, first round uh, higher in the first round and, you know, you know, arguably the best player in his draft, at least at the time of the draft. But, um, no, I really like him. And, you know, speaking of Meyer, I saw him in the FCL too back in 2020. 
one. I think I said 2021 with Rutschman, too. That was 2019. It all blends together. But yeah, Rutschman was 2019. Meyer was 2021. Meyer looked really good, and he didn't even do a lot when I saw him. But he, uh, I think he stole a base, played good defense. Uh, you know, and I, I've seen him a lot on the backfields. Now that I'm living in Fort Myers, I see him a lot during spring training with the uh, minor league Red Sox. And uh, I guess one more, uh, two more names I'll throw out there are uh, Kalai Rosario and Noah Miller. Um, both are twins. I know uh, those are guys that Eric and I are both big fans yeah, of. Hold on. Uh, I'm going to stop you right there for a second because sure. um, Rosario specifically, I want to hear about him. And the reason why I call him out uh, so specifically is he was a guy when I first started dynasty so this was roughly like the back end of 2019 when i got into dynasty and, and kind of looking at things he was kind of bubbling up as like oh somebody again deep dynasty possible name to watch and then obviously after uh the the COVID year 2021 it was like he dropped off the face of the mat it was like i didn't hear anything about him and then i noticed last year started to kind of at least stats wise maybe not the the notoriety but numbers wise start to look a little bit you know back to form so to speak and then this year definitely looks like he's rounding into shape so i'm i'm curious to hear about both he and miller but definitely rosario and what you have kind of noticed with him yeah well i think i'm going to start with miller briefly just because i think rosario is the more exciting name uh miller is probably one of the best defenders i've seen in the minor leagues um he's not hitting the ball as much as he'd like to see um he did steal 23 bases last year so he's got speed he's got defense and he held his own with the mighty muscles so I think if he can be, you know, like a league average hitter, then he's going to have a utility role somewhere. You know, for a deep dynasty league, I don't know how much, you know, impact that'll have, but um, because he hasn't really developed into any power yet, but he played a full season last year and stole 23 bases and played really good defense uh, with a 348 on base. Just not a lot of, uh, not a lot of power, but guy who does a lot of power is Kalai Rosario. Um, I was first tipped off to him when I saw him on, uh, uh, that game with Marcelo Meyer, I think Rosario stole the show because you know the dimensions of uh, Fenway Park. That dead center field is way, way back there. Oh, yeah. And Rosario hit a ball. I have it on video. It went over that wall in dead center. I mean, it was just, you know, uh, a no-doubter. Um, Guess who up soon after that video and still has it? Like? Guess who picked him up soon after that video? <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. See, this is why uh, we recommend you check out the Florida Prospect Report. You're gonna hear about prospects before you leave. There you go. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, he looked really good in the uh, FCL in 2021. Uh, and then, you know, I guess this is a good example of being fluid on uh, a prospect ranking because you know, last year I saw him a lot with the Mighty Muscles. He was, you know, j- a little bit above league average. You know, 12 home runs, seven stolen bases, and I'm like. This is a good player, but he's striking out a lot for low uh, for low A. You know, I mean, he's only 19. Is he going to take a step forward? What? Is, how is it going to be? And, I mean, t- you know, in 28 games so far in high A, uh, he's having his best year of his career, 132 WRC+, 385 on base, 265 average, 412 slugging. You know, aside from uh, the FCL, um, you know, this is the best he's been, and he's striking out less and walking more than he did in the FCL, which is why I'm saying this is the best he's been. So. Um, you know, last year I, I didn't write him off, but I was like, you know, if he's striking out this much in low A, like how is he going to make an adjustment? And he's done that. Mm-hmm. He's lowered his strikeout rate, uh, five and a half percent. And, you know, if he, I mean, 
I'm I'm very high on Rosario. You know, this this is a guy I like a lot. So with that being said, we're going to take another break. We're going to come back. I have a couple more questions, just kind of general questions for Bailey and Eric. And then we are going to get into some sort of preview names, uh, some guys that will be starting their pro careers in the FCL and uh, uh, CL, the Arizona Complex League, uh, this year, right after this. All right, and we are back. Um, so what, a couple of things that I wanted to ask about, um, you both had kind of talked on it and made me think about is we hear in, in fantasy, uh, especially the dynasty um, leagues, you hear a lot about age to level, right? And and a guy being uh, right around, you know, age level or a little bit too old for the level or, or whatever the case might be. So with it being like such low minors, pretty much, you know, the really the, the start of um, minor league careers, what would you to kind of say about seeing a difference? So you, you mentioned uh, Andrew Cassetti being, you know, 22, 23 years old. That seems like that's a substantial difference if he's playing against uh, guys, kids that are, you know, 18, 19 years old. How, so how much would you say like age to level, especially when you're talking about uh, rookie leagues low a is a big deal would you say it's not really a thing at all is it more a case-to-case basis like i'm curious to hear opinions about that it's weird i i, I like i like to think that i'm generally very analytic and very intelligent and look at every development like individually but the first question i always ask is how old are they and if they're 22 and in their low minors or something like that i'm like why are they still here what, what, what haven't they done to break through? And that's really not the, the right way to think, but it's always, it's always the first thing. So even, you know, it's just hard, it's hard to resist that kind of thinking. The way to educate yourself is to watch a player more and more and more and more. So you don't become an ageist. You're just like, okay, this is what I've seen. This is what they can do and what I can reasonably expect and what I don't think they're going to turn into. I, I can't just base it on what year they were born. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of nuance to it. I mean, I would say, first off, going back to 2021, we're seeing like, you know, 24, 25 year olds in low A, but that's their first taste of, you know, full season baseball because of COVID. You know, we didn't get any baseball in 2020. So um, with that, like it was really that threw things off. And then, you know, even this year, like uh, the two best hitters uh, besides Bernal on the Palm Beach Cardinals are uh, RJ Yeager. And Michael Curiel, two guys I expect to be gone very soon. Like I, I've been super impressed with what I've seen with them. Both of their OPSs, I believe, are above 900. Curiel, he's hitting above 400 in a healthy sample size. But they're both, you know, college bats in the right. low end. But also, I don't think it should be, you know, on an individual basis, we, sh- you know, they we shouldn't be. Uh, I wouldn't say tearing down these players. I don't think anyone's tearing them down, but like writing them off just because they're in low A. This is, you know. Uh, Curry else, you know, was in low A last year, you know, after he got drafted in his first full season, he's getting put in low A by the Cardinals. So it's not his fault that he's in low A um, and he's doing everything to show that he's more than ready for high A. But, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, how much uh, stock do you put into, you know, a guy who's 24, who's having an incredible season in low A? Because if Michael Curiel was 19, he'd be on every list that's like, this is the next breakout prospect. This is the guy you want on your team. But because, you know, he went to a 
Ooh, I want to say he went to UCLA. Uh, you know, now uh, he's not, you know, that breakout guy. Uh, I think, you know, on the flip side, like I am saying, uh, when a guy is 18 or 19 against, you know, 22-year-old pitching and, and looks, you know, right at home, like then that is notable that, you know, against upper-level talent, you know, like a guy like Jackson Holiday, who's already in high A and is arguably the best hitter in high A right now. Like, I mean, uh, that's pretty notable when he's only 19. So I think I, I put I put more stock into a young guy doing really well, um, like giving them a boost than I would uh, deducting an older guy doing well. Cause I don't think it's the older guy's fault unless it is, you know, there are, there was a guy last year who was like their, you know, their third go around in, in low A and uh, um, they hadn't done well the first two times and already like 24, 25 and they were doing well. So like, you know, that makes sense to write them off a little bit because they've repeated the level twice at that point. I get it. But if it's their first time in, you know, the, in the full season, um, you know, I, I would say let them cook a little. Once they get to high A, if if they if their stats, you know, diminish a little bit, then yeah, you know, maybe it was because of the age. But I think I you know, like Eric said, it's circumstantial, it's a case by case basis. I think there is, you know, uh some truth to it being that, you know, uh that age plays a significance in in this kind of thing, but um I think it's a little circumstantial too. So I think um that's a that's really well said on on both of you guys parts um as far as you know being aware of the nuance being aware of circumstances uh that may lead into uh why there's a player that is you know maybe a little bit older than what we would expect or what the league average is um playing in in the lower levels um you you know the the COVID year we are kind of seeing the last um few sort of draft classes uh uh, the results of guys that were being reassigned or you know having a second go round at the same level and and some of that uh chaos that's kind of finally starting to i think um dwindle down kind of like seeing the last few of those players um through the system but it i think the other sort of larger ramifications of that uh is it made a lot of teams sort of have to question what their timeline and what their development process was when it came to that, because they had, you know, a slew of guys that they had to say, okay, well, do we just go by, Hey, he got X amount of at bats at Y level. So now he automatically moves up or actually we need to keep him down or, and then I think it made them, you know, made some teams structurally take a look at, you know, how are we actually moving guys through um, and, and evaluating players? And so you want to be mindful that there is some fluidity from the teams about how they're dealing with their own players uh, when you're looking at, uh, you know, who's who's where and, and trying to consider why. So um, I, I was I was curious and I appreciate the insight from both of you um, on that. What I wanted to do as we wrap up is I have a list of names from the Arizona Complex League, which we haven't talked about. I know, obviously, you guys don't live in Arizona, so that's not your um, necessarily your forte. Um, but I do have some names from this past draft class that I thought are notable enough to to call out um, as the Complex Leagues get started in June, so next month. And then I did want to pivot into looking at, and I, I was actually in the midst of trying to pull up um, for Florida as well, um, some potential some potential names, uh, some rookies that will be um, making their debut there. So as far as Arizona, um, just real quickly, I'll, I'll run down some names. 
more pitchers than what I had first thought were, would be on this list because I always think with the lower level position player, I think we talked about in our uh, one of our previous episodes, uh, Jake and I, when we talked about, you know, who we who we look at and how we identify prospects at each level, we tend to kind of over index at the lower levels towards position players because pitching is so, so fluid at that level. Guys are so young. Um, you have, and I'll mention a name here. You have guys that, uh, have yet to convert to pitching. So sometimes you have guys that are still position players that get converted a little bit later in their career and vice versa guys that are two way players, at the rookie level where that's kind of like they can make that work. And then they get into low A, high A and the team makes a call and says, no, we need you to just be this and forget about this other part. Um, But there's a number of pitchers that I have here. Um, I'm going to start with um, Dylan Lesko, uh, who's drafted by the San Diego Padres. Obviously the other piece to this is um, a good number of injuries obviously hit the pitching class of 2022 um, so I think that also caused a lot of pitchers to not be able to get those, um, last few innings that they normally would at, uh, a rookie, uh, complex league for their teams before that complex league ended. Uh, so now they're kind of a year later making their major league debuts. I think Dylan Lusco is an interesting name. I'm a big fan of Walter Ford, who was the youngest, uh, player, uh, out of the draft this past year, um, at 17 years old. Uh, I think he's he's just a kind of interesting character. It seems like uh, if you follow him on Twitter and definitely somebody um, that I think has some interesting talent as a pitcher as well. And I'm curious to see, especially in the Seattle system, we're seeing with, uh, you know, the Bryce Millers, Brian Wu, uh, they they starting to kind of have a type when it comes to the elevated fastball uh, and then playing the secondaries off of that. I'm curious to see where Ford kind of slots in very early on in his development. Uh, you have Noah Schultz for the White Sox as well. Um, lefty with kind of a different release point. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how he gets developed, whether he will continue to stay as a starter, whether there's a sort of um, uh, Garrett Crochet situation of like, is he a starter? Is he a reliever? Is he a starter situation there? Um, Justin Campbell, Again, uh, yet another Cleveland in uh, Cleveland Guardian, excuse me, uh, pitching prospect. Uh, Justin Campbell is a college age player, so he did come from. Uh, actually, I'm I'm blanking now. I also, which school he went to? I'm going to look it up. No, I also don't know. I'm thinking of it, and I also don't know. Oh, yeah, and I I'm a little embarrassed that I didn't have it at the t- uh, top of my outline here, but we're going to look it up. Um, but as a um, college age player, still making his rookie debut, um, obviously anytime you have a, a Cleveland prospect, you're always interested in um, seeing what they're going to do. He went to Oklahoma State. I got it pulled up now. So he was actually one of their compensation picks, uh, pick number 37 uh, overall. So he's somebody that I would suspect will have a very short uh uh, period in rookie ball before getting assigned to most likely high A, um, possibly low A, but probably jump straight into high A as long as he, you know, looks healthy and well uh, in his debut. Uh, so these are some some pitching names. And then as we pivot into position players, you have uh, Christopher Paciola, 
who was a third round pick for the Cubs shortstop. Again, just looking to see what the Cubs can do when it comes to developing their own uh, hitters and their own pitchers instead of having to take from other teams, as we've talked about in previous episodes. Um, can they start to you know develop their own guys, kind of what they did with creating their core um, uh, with their World Series winning team? Uh, can they do something similar uh, this this go around during this rebuild? So Paciola is a name that uh you know i'm just a super deep league don't have to rush out and like grab them but just somebody I, i'm i'm curious about um austin charles austin charles is, is on my list here uh for the royals simply because from a size standpoint he's six six shortstop so again like we've seen the o'neill cruises and the ellie Dell cruises of the world like i want to just see this guy play you know like how does he look as being six six and playing short and is that a place he can stick uh and then the sort of like put a star next to his name, you know, special cases, Reggie Crawford coming out of UConn pitcher and first baseman hits the ball a ton is a pretty good pitcher as well as a lefty. It'll be curious to see, do the giants keep him going as a two-way player? Do they, you know, make that call of saying, Hey, we need you to actually focus on one over the other. So Crawford is another name that I have uh, kind of like double underlined to see his rookie debut and, and, what they do with him i know he was coming off an injury as well so that rehab process and how he develops will be interesting so that's all the arizona league i do want to represent jake he's so he's he shot me a name um and this is the 80 grade name i think that's out there and that's myro shindrick martinez shortstop for the dodgers um if you haven't seen this name um yeah 80 80 grade name um, and just to, to represent Jake and, and some of the insight that he brought to this um, raw power with uh, Martinez, pretty good foot speed. And really, as it normally is, it's a matter of how his hit tool develops, how the pitch recognition develops for his overall discipline. Um, if you look at fan graphs, their scouting grade, they have him for a 35, you know, FV for hit. So definitely some skepticism there. Game power, 60 FV, raw power, 70. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a tale as old as time when it comes to international draft uh, pick, very young, um, you know, real high uh, high effort swing as far as um, getting into the power. But can he, you know, do the, the basic things of making good contact consistently? Uh, and then, you know, what sort of crazy comparisons can we throw out there? So Jake noted that um, it will be pipeline uh apparently went on record of calling him the best middle infield prospect from curacao since ozzy albies so you know that's a low bar to clear right just since a multi-time all-star and world series champion um but other, other than that you know what else so those are some names we'll obviously have them all in the show notes i know i went through that list like super fast um those are some names from the arizona uh league and i know you guys uh we were talking as well about Florida League hasn't started yet. So, you know, who who do we know or what do we know about what's going to be in the Florida League? Let me ask you, instead of thinking about specific names, if you have them, feel free to share. But instead of thinking about specific names, are there certain teams that you guys kind of gravitate towards seeing their players more than others because of how well they draft, perhaps, or how well they tend to um, develop players at the low minor uh, league stage? I think uh, to... to just to respond to what you said, the, the list of Arizona guys, I, I, I have a, a, an excellent friend from around here who works in Seattle's player development 
department and he, he knows the minors. A lot of times I look at like a factor of how a guy's going to make it. Are they crazy enough? Are they crazy enough? Are they crazy enough? When things get bad, is their shell so hard that the fans, the 0 for 5s, the seven runs given up in a third of an inning, is it, is it going to break them? And sometimes you mm. learn right away, this guy can't handle it. And sometimes you're like, all right, like Fred Ben Cosme is a great example. He's a level-headed guy, but I just don't think an 0 for 35 streak is ever going to make him think that I'm not a great, that he's not a great hitter. That being said, uh, Walter Ford, he seems like right now he's crazy enough that he's going to make it through the low minor. He's just going to, whatever happens, good or bad, he's going to make It's not just skill. It's him himself in this baseball world. So out of, out of all the guys, he and I have talked about Walter a great deal. And he think, he's very high on Brian Wu, who you also mentioned. But he thinks that Walter is going to be a difference maker. He's very excited about the Ford and Ford battery uh, in Seattle. But to answer the, the, the specific question that, that you ended with, of course it's the Orioles because it's who I like and I'm, who I'm closest with. But I also get to see the Braves. They don't have a lot of name prospects at this level. And people think their system is bad because the team's record is bad. The Braves are the world champions. They have an excellent roster, and their guys are fully developed by the time they get there. So they're hitting every single box. It doesn't matter what Rome and Augusta's record is. It really doesn't. It just matters who passes through there. So the Braves and how lower minor guys get started is something that I pay very, very heavy, very heavy attention to. There is one guy that I've watched him kick the Orioles' ass every single time they've played. He hit his first home run over the fence last week. He's a little guy. A center fielder named Douglas Glode, G-L-O-D, 18 years old. People are going to be hearing about him down the road. This is probably the first time a lot of people are going to hear. But the Braves, that, that, that aspect of their development is, is really very interesting to me. And uh, for me, I would say, um, you know, maybe it's a little biased, but, you know, Daytona Tortugas with the Cincinnati Reds, uh, been following that team closely since 2017. No, and they could be happy. He's a Reds fan. So, so continue. Yeah, there you, go. <laughs> um, you know, just to rattle off some names that I, I feel like, you know, I was, you know, quote unquote early on just because, you know, I've been following the Tortugas for, you know, for so much. Uh, you know, the uh, TJ Friedel, Kyler Stevenson, Jose Siri. Taylor Trammell, uh, you know, TJ Anton, Tony uh, Santion, uh, Ellie Delacruz. Um, and, you know, this year they, they have the most stacked roster in the league with uh, Cam Collier, uh, Hector Rodriguez, Victor Acosta, uh, yeah, Yerlin Confidon, uh, Carlos Jorge could not, could not forget him. And then, unfortunately, you know, Leonardo Balcazar was off to a really good start before he took mm-hmm. over. Acosta. Um, but in the Reds, yeah, but, you know, the Reds, you know, they really do a good job uh, developing. I think they're super underrated because they're, you know, not, you know, big-name team. But, you know, they, they just constantly have good players at that level. Um, and also say, you know, the Cardinals recently with pitchers have been really impressive. Uh, of course, with Tim Kentz last year, who I could talk for another hour about. Love Tim Kentz. But, I mean, this year they got Cade Winquest, Max, I want to say it's Radchich, not Radchich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Bryson Mouts, Pete Hansen. That's four of their starters right there, um, all from the same draft, 2022, and they've all looked incredible this year so far. Uh, Pete Hansen took a no-hitter into the seventh inning a couple days ago. 
Uh, could have mm-hmm. been a perfect game if we didn't have the automated strike zone because the guy who was batting, there's a random random tidbit, the guy who was batting is uh, quite short. So there's a pitch at the top of the zone, which I believe an umpire would have called uh, strike one, but it was ball four because technically he has a smaller strike zone because of his uh, height. So that was interesting. That, that's how he lost the perfect game, but took a no-hitter into the seventh. Pete Hansen looked really good, struck out nine batters. Uh, so, you know, Cardinal, and even on the hitting side, uh, Cardinals, I've seen Dylan Carlson, Lars Newtbar, Nolan Gorman, Ivan Herrera. Uh, I mean, if you want to go really far back, Tommy Pham back in like 2009. So wow. the Cardinals have, uh, they've done a pretty good job over the years too. Uh, so one last thing before we, we wrap up here and get into, you know, promoting you guys stuff, the podcast and, the, and everything else. Um, I want to talk about stats because we talked about like small sample size and, and WRC plus that this guy has and how many home runs, etc. So often the general consensus, I think, at, at, a, at a larger level is like, oh, and, and again, we had an episode earlier where we talked about at each level things that indicators that uh, Jake and I use to kind of indicate the under the radar guys. Right. So not the well-named folks but the under radar guys before they pop and one thing that we did talk about was you know how you can't put a whole lot of stock into all these numbers because of there's a lot of noise that goes along with the the signal of information at that level but with with you all seeing games right and watching games getting background information eric i know like you were saying like getting a lot of background information whether it be talking to players talking to um, development coaches, etc. Like, what is your stance on looking at a guy's stat line that is in maybe not even rookie league, but that is at the low A level? Is there do we just throw the whole thing out? Is it hey WRC plus if he's a hitter is a pretty good indicator? You know, strikes to walks if he's a pitcher is good, but other than that, don't care. Or, or is, is there something that we really should be putting some real rigor to the the metrics? there as much as we would if he was at double a or triple a lamar that really is an excellent an excellent question and 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 where it comes from is even even more intelligent at 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 this level i mean you probably heard it a couple times on the show i've said over the fence home runs a lot of the home runs that you see on players milb pages are triples plus an error or inside Mm. the park home runs or Mm. what you know what i like to call a rookie league home run so just if you're looking at power and then you look at home runs and they do have some or they don't have some, it's not a fair gauge of the player's power. It's just not. It's, it's not. it's not enough of an indicator. So what I do like to look at at this level, first of all, is exit velocity. How, I, know, I, you know, I know it's a metric, not a stat. How much stronger are they than their competition? Because that's going to determine how fast they move. And, and what an organization can put on their shoulders, li- literally. So that that's one thing. But on-base percentage and strikeout-to-walk ratio are a little bit more important for me. Because if you do not have that at the low level, that means there's going to have to be a lot more work put into you to get you to that foundation where everybody else is. And I kind of do eliminate people that... You know, they strike out three more times or four more times than they walk, even in a small sample size. They're just going to require more work. And I'm going to move on to the the prospects that can execute and get extra base hits when they're 18 or 19 years old. So, I mean, 
A long way to say, like, statistics really tell a lesser percentage of the story at this level. And it really is a great question because everybody should know that. Everybody that's listening and everybody that follows baseball, it's about development, not slugging percentage to a large degree. Bailey, am I right or am I wrong? Oh, yeah, no, you absolutely hit that on the head. I think walk rate and strikeout rate for me are the most important stats, at least in the low minors, to look at because – if a guy, you know, inquires about one of my players in a dynasty league, the first thing I'm going to do is look at fan graphs and see how much they're walking, how much they're striking out. Because, you know, if a guy's striking out 35, 40% of the time in low A, it's going to be really hard to, you know, correct that. Like we said earlier in the podcast, it can't happen. Kalai Rosario, you know, made improvements. But, um, you know, a guy hitting 35 home runs, you know, just doesn't tell the full story. You know, there was a really good player for the Daytona Tortugas in 2018, Ibundel Isabel. Probably the most raw power I might have ever seen on a player. He had a home run in Double A that went out of the stadium. I mean, it, it, I don't believe it was a grand slam too. Uh, you know, this just incredible player with power, but you know, he's never really popped up on dynasty lists like that because you know just he, the strikeouts and you know he never made the majors. So um, unfortunately, I really liked Isabel, but uh, I think strike. And there's more to it, of course. You know, you want you want a guy with a good hit tool. You want a guy with power. So you you know if you're looking for the, the quote-unquote best pro- prospect. But, you know, in terms of which stat, you know, can tell you the most without watching a guy, I think it would be the uh, walk and strikeout rate. And, you know, stolen base is interesting yep. too because, you know, uh, I think it's a lot of variance there because Nassim Nunez with the Marlins has led the minors in stolen bases at least once, maybe twice. And he's doing it again this year. He's just running wild. And – but I think what's most notable is this year he's made other adjustments that – lead me to believe he can be a major leaguer besides mm-hmm. stolen bases. And I, and I think that's general consensus because if, if a guy stealing, you know, like 70 bases uh, was that significant, he'd be on those kind of lists um, that, you know, for breakout and stuff. And, you know, Estiri Ruiz was that guy last year. He stole all those bases. But I think it was a little different because he was doing it at the higher levels. But right. I'll throw that name out there, Nassim Nunez. I, I think we, we see him in Miami – by at the very latest 2024, hopefully, uh, you know, as a September call-up this year because he's been doing really well, and I think he should be in AAA uh, sooner rather than later. But, uh, you know, ultimately that's for me to say uh, walk rate, striker rate are the big things. And do, do look at the other stats, but put them in context while you're looking at it. You know, you know I, I, I want to circle back, actually, because both of you made, made me think about something, and I'll try to do this as, as briefly as I can, but there's another – you know, stats are, aren't it. So maybe somebody's listening and like, all right, well, well, well what, what is it? How, how, how can I get a picture? And I know that, that my experience, my life is, is very different. And this gives me a chance to talk about another player also. Shortstop prospect for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Yordani De Los Santos. I, 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 I wanted to mention him. I've watched him play. I've read scouting reports. I've talked to Pirates personnel and trainers. All those things are very positive. His transfer in the infield is absolutely electric. He's going to be a player. He can hit. He's very confident. He's got that little crazy factor where it's just not going to break his shell. I watched a Marauders come back over three innings with him three nights ago. He and I and all the extended guys in the bullpen. His baseball IQ is absolutely through the roof. We're talking about situations. Wait, now they have somebody on. Do they bunt with one out? When do they steal? What count do they steal on? What Should this player fake a steal and why? His understanding of what to do in every situation, again, so unbelievably high. 
I was just thinking, like, you know, maybe Jordani should skip playing and just be a manager. Like, he knows how to execute <laughs> in these tight situations. So that kind of stuff. When you know that about a guy, I, 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 I thought the world of him, but now I think his development is just going to be an absolute explosion. Now that I know how he mentally sees the game. So, if, you know, if you, if you can find out information like that, I, I know sometimes fantasy decisions are, are, are tough. You want to draft, you want to trade. So try to find out as much as you can about how a guy sees the game. And, and, and then you'll know, like, what's going to happen when it's their turn to play. So I, I'm, I'm sorry to keep going on, but, but that's really no, no, no. I'd feel bad if I didn't share. No, no, that's excellent. I think that's an excellent point to actually leave with someone. Um, so, you know, before we get into uh, the, the our sign-off here, I want to give you guys a chance to plug. So uh, the prospect, the Florida Prospect Report, the podcast, where, where can people find it? What's the publication days like? Is it is it monthly? Is it weekly? What what's going on there? Yeah, so uh, we're the Florida Prospect Report. You can find us pretty much anywhere you get your podcast: Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We try to do it at least uh, once every other week. Um, you know, other you know, there are some circumstances that may prevent that from happening, but we try to be as consistent as we can with that. Um, and you can find us on Twitter: FL Prospect Pod. Um, Highly recommend you check out the Twitter because even if you know we go uh, you know a couple weeks without a podcast, the Twitter is highly active. Eric and I are posting highlights from the games we go to. So you know, most recently, I know Eric was posting Tamar Johnson highlights. Like last night, I was posting highlights from those guys I was talking about from the Palm Beach Cardinals. So and those are videos you know you're not really going to see anywhere else for a little bit because those games aren't even on MILB TV. But the Bradenton games are in St. Lucie Mets. But everyone else in the FCL or excuse me FSL not posting their uh, videos yet. So, uh, you know, for me personally, you can find me on Twitter, XWO Bailey. Uh, it's a baseball pun for my username, uh, Bailey yeah. Srebnik. And um, one of the I'll best be, names uh, out there. What's up? I say one of the best names out there. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I, I may or may not be working in baseball this summer. So <laughs> stay tuned for an announcement about that. Uh, thanks to Eric helping me out with that. And Eric, where can they find you? Uh, I have a Twitter. It's Eric uh, underscore Birdland uh, and, the, and the Florida Prospect Report page as well. And then I have an Instagram where I put the stories up of every practice, every extended game, a lot of pictures, every FSL game. That's Eric underscore Birdland 22 on Instagram. So both are places, if you like the low minors and like this part of development, I mean, it's kind of exclusive stuff without paying and Bailey and I take a lot of pride in providing that so we're not trying to get anything right or be the experts we're just trying to share what we see in Florida with other people so this this is a forum where we can do that sometimes it takes a long time to talk about prospects and get into all the details so we don't care about an 80-minute conversation we're, we're just happy to have opportunities to share what we're doing thank you very much perfect perfect Thanks again, guys, for for being on. Uh, as always, I want to remind listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our Pitcher List pods on the Pitcher List Network podcast page. They're all available on the podcast section of Pitcher List for you to find, listen, and subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Inside Fastball, capital I, capital F. You can find Jake on Twitter at Jake Mash, M-A-I-S-H. And you can find this podcast with our brand new uh, podcast page as well on uh, Twitter at PL 
on the farm. So a lot of Twitter activity there. It's the six or seven different accounts that you guys can have to follow, plus Instagram. Uh, and as always, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your day. Mm-hmm.